Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And uh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for making it possible. We thank you, Lord, for drawing us close to you, Lord. We know that the official positions uh, are about to be announced very soon, and we want to be on the good side. All of us do. We ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, draw us, and we will run after thee. Amen. So I'm going to call this, We Need to Check Ourselves. Yes. We're very close to the appearance of the man-child reformers to choose the bride. And it is past time to stop playing and draw close to the Lord. It is time to check ourselves to be sure that we're in the running. Major disasters are also coming at the same time. So pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things, as the Scripture says. Lamentations 3 and 40 says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 34, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man prove himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he that eateth and drinketh, eateth and drinketh judgment unto himself, if he discern not the body. For this cause many among you are weak and sickly, and not a few sleep. But if we discerned ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait one for another. And of course, we are partaking of the body and blood of Christ every day. It's not the ceremony that we're talking about. That symbolizes what we are doing every day, partaking of His body and His blood. He is the Word made flesh, right? And His blood is the life and nature of Jesus Christ. So, uh, He says, when you come together, eat to eat, wait one for another. If any man is hungry, let him eat at home. Uh, good idea that your coming together be not unto judgment, and the rest will I set in order whensoever I come. Second Corinthians 13 and 5 is, Try your own selves, whether you are in the faith. Prove your own selves. Or know you not, as to your own selves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you be reprobate. Galatians 6 and 4, But let each man prove his own work, 
and then shall he have his glorying in regard of himself alone and not of his neighbor. In Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Good prayer. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Psalm 26, 1 and 2, which is a psalm of David. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me, and try my heart and my mind. Ephesians 5:15 on Look therefore carefully how you walk not as unwise but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil Wherefore be ye not foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is and be not drunken with wine wherein is riot but be filled with the spirit speaking one to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, subjecting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. Revelation uh, 3.11 says, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no one take thy crown. Uh Uh-huh, so true. Okay, here's a a revelation. uh, Purposely desire the Lord. We called it Anonymous 4723. Nothing comes from anything else other than me. Not your own works or other people or this earth. Just me. Yes, and and John 3 and 27 says, uh, uh, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it have been given him from heaven. Many people want to uh, blame others for the things that have come upon them, but it won't work before God. Um, The curse that is causeless alighteth not, the Bible says. So endure the suffering now, he goes on to say. Have selflessness now above all. If it hurts or is undesirable to the flesh, it is most likely to be for my glory. As in death to self and the crucified life, right? Amen. There are testings of your patience and diligence to make way for the end result of my will. And these testings will enable you to always resist the enemy. Very true. Have a high regard and hope of who I am. The highest of all, the creator of all, cares for you. Amen. Ask yourself, can there be anything I cannot do? Would I leave anything undone? Well, my thought was... Jeremiah 32 and 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Lay it all before the Lord. Ask for His help in everything. Uh, Confess and humble yourself for everything. 
Keep loving so much that the intensity drives darkness into nothingness. True. You are in a very tough but major change. Be ready for the blessings in abundance. I know these are coming for those who are walking righteously before the Lord. And he said, I felt to be uh, ready to utilize, not just receive. Right? In other words, be ready to uh, share, meet the needs, everything. Let go of your own feelings and satisfactions. Look at my son. Did he not lay his life down for you and yet said nothing? And his comment is, we are to do just the same as the Lord Jesus. Acts eight thirty two through 35. Now the passage of the scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. His, his generation who shall declare, for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Paul and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning uh, from this scripture, preached the gospel to him, Jesus. And First John 3 and 16, Hereby I know we love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Yes, and that's the way it is with the bride, my friends. That's what they're doing. They're giving their life for their brethren. Repent quickly, the Lord said. The quicker you do so, you can then be close to each other as I am to you. And then he said, I saw a triangle. Yes, we are one side of that. We must yearn for each other in unity, he says. You are in a time of sanctification, tried and true. I saw how metal being beaten into shape by a blacksmith and tried and proven and made stronger in a fiery furnace. Yes, uh, true, and uh, don't begrudge God those fiery furnaces, right? There's nothing that can compare to my love. I want you and desire your company forever. Cherish this and do not get distracted from my love. I am pure and true. Everything else is a test of our love together. When you see the time where children and those young in faith are speaking as Jesus did in the temple, then you are unable to ask for more time, for the end of time is here. Be ready. And uh, he said, I felt that these are the times where we are seeing those being called out from the apostate churches, uh, his sheep uh, who follow his voice for our Father's glory. Amen. I agree. Luke two forty six through 49. And it came to pass, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting and in the midst of the teachers, both hearing them and asking them questions. 
And all that heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Let it be so with us, right? And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said unto him, Child, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Lo, thy father and I seek thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Knew ye not that I must be about my father's business? <laughs> yes. Trust me, I have a way. I felt we are to let go of all our desires and to treat each day as the last, not for pleasure, but for closeness to him. Yes, this is important at this particular time, for sure. Hold to me, never let go. You are doing well and keeping true on the righteous path. Never let this be a reason to stop or slow down. Never allow lies or self to be a hindrance to our life together now. Okay, and here's a word from uh, Debbie Finsky on 1230-23. There must be an exchange. My children, let me speak this word of love to you from my heart. Being where you are does not make you part of my holy bride. Only ignoring this world around you and consuming yourself with the business of my kingdom willingly and faithfully from a heart of total repentance and a life of holy living as you abide in me, do I stamp upon you holiness to the Lord. In this hour of much darkness and much falling away of my people, I need your oneness with me, and I so desire my oneness with you. I need you to be in the thick of warfare against this darkness. Realize the exchange that has taken place. I have been exchanged for meaningless activities. Do you really understand the times that we are in? Yes, we are in this together. You need to make the exchange back from the meaninglessness to my high calling. Exchange from darkness to light. Yes, I say that this is an exchange from darkness to light. Let me open your eyes so that you will see the darkness where you spend so much of your time. This world and the things that are only for occupying your mind and your time are things of darkness. Amen. Well, we know the distractions of the pleasures of the flesh are darkness. And these keep many from bearing fruit. For a very short time now, my hand of invitation is still mercifully stretched out to you. What great mercy I have given to you, my people. I have given you so much of everything, so much of myself, and now the choosing of my bride is at hand. This is the time to make the exchange. You know what I am asking each of you. Search your hearts. Examine your hearts. Separation is not what I am merely asking of you. I am requiring it of you. Be diligent to enter the fight for those to whom I have called. 
and am calling, still out of my great mercy. Enter in, in the beauty of holiness. Remember, desire is not enough. Your will must win over mere desire. Just as my will was to give my life for yours, so now, so close in this last hour, will you, by your will and by my extended grace and mercy, give up your life for me and for others. There are many who need you to give up your life for them, in warfare for them, against the enemy. Have you not known that playtime has been over? The time has always been for death to self, but life in me, for me and with me in our kingdom, reign together on this earth for eternity. Eternity is right now. Right now, spend it with me on your knees. Keep your hearts bowed. I am waiting to clothe you with my glory. Are you making yourselves worthy of my high calling? You are not alone, though you may feel it, being separated from beloved friends and family, for I have given you one another, a family to work together, to come into this calling together as one in me. I love you, my children. Well, amen. And here is another one given through uh, Debbie on 930. We called it, So Many Will Not Be Kept Safe. I received this last Thursday night, 92823. It was our worship and praise night on the Zoom outreach conference call. I could not share it that night because I knew I had to pray about how to present this. Our worship time was awesome. It was such a wonderful, uplifting time. I was being really blessed worshiping and praising God and being lifted up in my spirit. So I was not prepared for such a turn that I received. One of the last few songs we were singing had lyrics about how he will keep us in the fire and he will keep us in the storm. And after that song, I began feeling a spirit of heaviness come over me. It just wasn't normal. I asked Father, what is this all about? God, why am I feeling this way? And then suddenly I was seeing a vision of Jesus in a white robe. His hair was brown, shoulder length. His head was somewhat bowed, allowing his hair to fall forward over his shoulders and hang down at each side of his face. Then I was suddenly given a closer view of his face, like the way a camera focuses in on a subject. I could see Jesus was not happy. I could tell he was very sad and grieving. And I could not understand that because I thought our worship time was so great. Then our worship went into another song with real high praise and people were so happy lifting up Jesus. The main lyrics, I will say, were, I just can't stop praising his name. And the song 
kind of went on and on. And I opened my eyes and watched as I was singing with them. It was really a great song, but I was feeling this heaviness at the same time. Then, closing my eyes again, I was again seeing the same vision of Jesus, really grieving with such sadness on his face. I couldn't understand this. I was still confused, asking myself, why this and why now? Then Jesus faded out, and I was looking at what I had just been watching, people on stage raising their arms, singing loudly, kicking their legs, and dancing and twirling while praising God. I saw one group of praisers that were really dressed up, and then another group of praisers were in just jeans and t-shirt, just like what we were watching in those worship videos. But what I heard the Lord say after that, I don't think he was necessarily applying to these particular groups, individuals and choirs of people that were uh, just seeing in the worship videos. But he was referring to many people out there that are lifted up in his way uh, and not just groups or individuals who are popular out there, but to so many who are saying that they are doing what they are doing for God's kingdom. But they are not. As I was watching that vision, and after seeing Jesus looking so sad and grieved and filling his heart, this is what the Lord said. So many will not be kept safe from the burning fire, from the storm, and from the battle. They will not be kept safe, though they praise me because they have not known me. They are deceived. Oh, they look like they know me when they are singing great songs of praise to me, but though they know that what they sing about me is true, they do not know me. They boast in that I love them, but they cannot boast in their love for me, for they do not know me. Therefore, I do not know them. Well, you know, there is a lot of Hollywood uh, crept into the church, uh, and people are putting on a show. It's not coming from the heart. They're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. Okay, let's return to this prophecy. These people grieve my heart so as I watch them make fools of themselves before the devil and his demons. If they would only really want to know what is in my word, but they have no desire to know my word because they have no real desire to know me. What they really desire is to be looked upon and worshipped by others. Foolish they are. And though it grieves me, I know that there are many of them who realize that they are empty of me and will repent and come to me and follow me. But so much more than those who will repent are those who will not repent and are going to stay on their stage singing their way into hell. 
After I finished writing this down, I just happened to open my Bible. I wasn't at this point going for a random word for confirmation, but I was thinking I would do that. So I was really amazed when I read the verses that my eyes looked down at after I opened my Bible. Thank you, Lord. I looked at verse 7 of Matthew 7. I'm reading Matthew 7, 6 and 7. And he said unto them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is uh, written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So the numbers 767 strongly stood out to me. When numbers stand out to me, I like to look them up in the Strong's Concordance. So what Strong's says of 767 is of no mark, unmarked, or unstamped, insignificant, ignoble. O Father, you've shown that you do grieve for those who are in such a deceived state. It is scary to be thinking that people who worship you before men are in that place. Well, there's that Hollywood entertainment thing. They're looking for the respect of men. The same as all people who say that they are Christians but are deceived by doctrines of demons, thinking that popularity while wearing your name tag is acceptable. They know of you only in their head and not in their heart. But so many do not realize that they are unmarked or unstamped and insignificant to you and ignoble in what they think they are doing unto you or for you or for your kingdom. And they don't realize that you do not know them. I pray that we and all of your people will always examine our hearts before you, searching our hearts and repenting of not worshiping you in spirit and in truth in all that we do. Father, as we are staying in your word, reveal to us where we are being in the flesh and of any spirit of pride and self-grandeur, which is so unpleasing to you, so that we can repent. Thank you for your grace to us to stay in the light of your word, wanting your light to shine on any darkness in our lives, so that we can repent and remain true, pure, and clean before you, before one another and before those out in the world, for your honor and glory alone. Please open the eyes of your people quickly who don't see that they are in this dangerous place, trapped in the lie of the devil that tells them that they are right with you while they are really just lifting up themselves, desiring only to please men. Please make them aware of the strong truth of your words in Matthew 7 and 23. I never knew you. And in Matthew 25 and 41, 
Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Lord, put in them a holy fear of you and cause them to repent, to change their ways by walking according to your word. Deliver them from the darkness so that they will be a light in the darkness, bringing honor to only your name, never to their own. And always, in all they do, worship you from their heart, in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Father. Amen. And this is also anonymous, 4923, Sing for the Lord. Are you worshiping me to make yourself feel good? Or are you doing it for or to revere me? The songs you listen to and the words you sing, are they holy? Are they my word? Are they truth? Or is it repetitive, flesh-pleasing and self-pleasing words? Are the words or lyrics contrary to my word? Are the feelings that you're experiencing the Holy Spirit or the flesh being aroused? Is this for me or for you? Don't you know that you can't even speak or walk without me and my grace? Use your mouth for me and my glory. Let me bridle your tongue and let me only speak through you. Stop speaking about self and singing for self. Think about how those who worship me now in the Holy of Holies for eternity. You have heard some say, Holy, 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 and they don't speak or glorify self. Think and speak with me about the beats that you listen to. Music goes straight to your soul, and there is no filter. Spirits transfer whether you see it or not. Are the people you are listening to singing from my spirit? Are the instruments to glorify me and from me, or is it another spirit to make and manipulate you to feel a certain way? Is it making your flesh feel good? When the song finishes, do you lose the joy? Does it feel like a come down? Or is it my joy that is always present? Does the pleasure only last the duration of the song, or is it my peace which is always there? Abide and remain in my presence. Ask me and allow me to open your eyes to see what spirits are singing, speaking, and playing through in the songs you listen to. Allow me to show you what is really happening in the Spirit when you listen to these songs. When you listen to it, you are agreeing with it, and in some ways it has put you under curses. Yes, my grace is for you, but I can't break or go against my own words. Touch no unclean thing and be holy as I am holy. I love when you sing to me from your heart. It doesn't matter the tone of your voice or how it sounds in the physical. 
Your singing from your heart gives me greater joy than you know, and I created you to sing for me and dance for me. Allow my spirit to sing through you. You don't need to always listen to others singing when you don't even know what spirit they are singing from, and you don't even know them. Sing to me. You don't even need a beat, but sing to me, my child, with my spirit. Commune with me, not just in spirit and word, but in songs and dance. And when you are alone, and when you come together. The flesh doesn't like the spirit singing and dancing through you to me, and will do anything to hinder it. Your spirit desires to sing and dance to me always, and when you do it, it hinders and crucifies the flesh so that your spirit rises up. I love you, my child, but do these things. I desire you to be clean, holy, pure, undefiled. I am with you, and I will help you, and I will show you if you just ask. Okay, and here's a revelation given to Eve Brast on 7.23.17. Your time is my time. Father spoke a word to me that I would like to share. I had been meditating on a couple of conversations I had with a brother and sister after the morning prayer meeting, and as a result I asked Father to speak to me. I realized I hadn't heard from him in a while because she was a very prophetic person, obviously, and um, and heard quite a bit and gave a lot, got, received a lot of dreams and so on and so forth. So I asked him why he'd been silent lately, and he answered me immediately as if he had been waiting for my attention. He said, I have not been silent It's that your mind has been so loud. Empty your mind and void it of busyness and the soulish thoughts that continually scream for your attention. Still your mind and be quiet, and you will hear my voice clearly. Don't allow external distraction or the soulish thought life uh, dull your discernment of the attacks from the enemy. He hides behind these and intermingles with them to keep you in turmoil and keep you from fully entering into the life and purpose I intended for you. Guard your mind with my word. Build the wall with the rock of my word and the mortar of quietness and stillness of mind. This will protect and strengthen your mind with my peace and a singleness of purpose. Cast down the soulish thought life and turn away from distraction. Shut them out so that you can feel me clearly and distinguish the voice of the enemy. Strive to walk out your days in stillness of mind. As you train your mind in this way, I will meet you there in the stillness. I asked our Father for a verse or a text for this word and received Psalm 139 and 3, uh, 1 through 4. 
O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou hast know, thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou searchest out my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. When I was driving home from work Sunday evening, Father again spoke very clearly to me as I was thinking on his word above. And he said, Your time is my time. Don't waste my time. Seek me on how I would have you spend it. This really convicted me because I do waste time at some point each day. I didn't realize that he considered my time his time and that it was precious to him. I figured, well, I'm nobody, so how I spend free time isn't all that important. But it looks like I was presumptuous on that one. So I asked him for a verse concerning my time being his time and received Acts 1 and 14. These all, with one accord, continued steadfastly in prayer with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Steadfastly in prayer. I hope this helps any who are also struggling in these areas. Amen. Well, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to share what I think is a scripture test of discipleship, which is very important if you want to be in the high calling of the bride. Romans 8 and 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. That body is created to uh, observe and obey your Spirit who observes and obeys the Holy Spirit. And Matthew 10 and 34, Think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. This is so true because those who are born of flesh are always wanting you to be entertained by flesh. And yet you want to draw aside and be with the Lord and uh, receive the input that he has for you. Verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that doeth, that doth not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. John 12 and 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abideth by itself alone. But if it die, it beareth much fruit. He that loveth his life loseth it, and he that hateth his life 
in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will the Father honor. 1 Corinthians 9 and 23 And I do all things for the gospel's sake, hmm, that I may be a joint partaker thereof. Know ye not that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? And I've said so much before that it's abiding in Christ. He's the one who wins the race. If we abide in Him, that is in His wishes, His desires, His nature, His character. Even so, run that you may attain. And every man that striveth in the games exercises self-control in all things. Now they do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Yes. Self-control in all things. I therefore so run as not uncertainly, so fight I as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and bring it into bondage, lest by any means, after that I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected. Yep, you can't let your body have its way. You know, you are to control it, to rule over it. Luke 13 and 6. And he spake this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit thereon and found none. And he said unto the vine dresser, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why doth it cumber the ground? And he answering saith unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also until I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit thenceforth, well, but if not, thou shalt cut it down. James 1 and 2, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into manifold temptations knowing that the proving of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. So we will lack nothing if we are patient in our faith, if we hold fast our faith until the end, until we see the thing we're believing for. And pray that it be more on spiritual revelations than on physical things, you know. And if any of you uh, lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all liberally, and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. For he that doubteth is like the surge of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Yes, if you find yourself doubting or double-minded, stop, repent, confess it to the Lord, 
renounce the demons of those names and uh, continue on believing God, right? In Second Peter 2 and 2, And many shall follow their lascivious doings. That's lascivious just means a license to do what you want to do, uh, a license to excess or whatever. By reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. And in covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose sentence now from of old lingereth not, and their destructions slumbereth not. For if God spared not angels when they sinned, but cast them down to hell, and committed them to pits of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the ancient world, but preserved Noah with seven others, a preacher of righteousness, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, having made them an example unto those that should live ungodly. Yes, they are an example in our day especially, because we... um, we see that there's so much to lead the, the flesh um, into these lusts, right, today. And delivered righteous lot, sore distressed by the lascivious life of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their lawless deeds. Amen. So true. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment unto the day of judgment. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of defilement and despise dominion, daring, self-willed, they tremble not to rail at dignities. James 5 and 9 says, Murmur not, brethren, one against another, that you be not judged. Behold, the judge standeth before the doors. Take, brethren, for an example of suffering and of patience the prophets who spake in the name of the Lord. Behold, we call them blessed that endured. And you have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord, how that the Lord is full of pity and merciful. Romans 8 and 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified with Him. Yes, we are here to suffer the loss of the old man, the old life, the pleasures of the flesh, and so on and so forth. Because to you it hath been granted in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer in his behalf. Second Thessalonians 1 and 4 says, 
so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions which you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God to the end that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Amen. We do suffer. The old man has to suffer. If the old man is not suffering, the spiritual man is not growing. He wants rule, that old man, but he's not permitted. Since you have come to Christ. 1 Peter 2 and 20. For what glory is it if when you sin and are buffeted for it, you shall take it patiently? But, If when you do well and suffer for it, you shall take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Yes, true. 1 Peter 3 and 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, blessed are ye, and fear not their fear, neither be troubled. And 1 Peter 4, 19, Wherefore, let them also that suffer according to the will of God commit their souls in well-doing unto a faithful Creator. Yes, he's burning up the wood, hay, and stubble. That's part of the creation. The old nature, the old lusts, and so on and so forth. Revelation 2 and 10. Fear not the things which thou art about to suffer, Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Well, amen. We must lose our life to gain our life. And the first life mentioned in that text is talking about your soulish life, your fleshly life. And we lose that. We give it up willingly uh, in order to seek God for that spiritual higher life and believe Him for that spiritual higher life that is the life of Jesus. Notice how Jesus and His disciples... um, Their whole interest was in promoting the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is where we need to be now. Seeking first the kingdom. His only interest, his only hobby was souls. And, uh, you know, There are many people who have pleasures in many different hobbies of their own, uh, but they're wasting time in a a time when we can't afford to waste time because we're drawing very near to decisions of God and we must be prepared to be on His right side. Amen. So, Father, we, uh, we pray, we ask You to draw us so that we will run after you like the Shulamite. Draw us, Father. Put in us this desire for you, a desire for fellowship with you, a desire for closeness to you. 
a desire to give up those things of the world that we know are not pleasing unto you. Draw us, and we will run after you. Lord, let it be. Work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Lord, uh, let our desires be your desires. Give us the desires of our heart, literally, those desires in our heart that will cause us to walk as you walked. Lord, give us this gift of grace to be well-pleasing unto you. Lord, we uh, declare that we've been given the heart of Jesus, the life of Jesus. We uh, look in the mirror and we see Jesus in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. We all with an unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. Yes, we want to come into your glory, Lord. We want the people to see you and not us. We ask for your grace, dear Father, and that you would draw us daily and deliver us from evil desires or even desires that are just distractions from what we really need to be doing at this particular time. Thank you for pouring out your grace upon us. Thank you, Lord, for putting your will into our hearts. Thank you for us seeking first your kingdom. Thank you for helping us to fulfill the Great Commission, which was obviously very strong on Jesus' heart when he left this place. Father, we praise you and we thank you for it. We stand affirmed that your word is true, that you've called us all in some form or fashion to do the work of the kingdom. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you for your grace to us. And thank you for granting us your gift of repentance and your gift of faith. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. God bless you, saints. Now, Michael Hare is going to come and share something with you. And Lord, we just ask you to bless Michael and anoint him mightily to be able to uh, bring some good things to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. It sure is good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Father and ask for a lot of his grace, so that we can have a good Bible study today. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we come to you boldly, boldly before your throne to receive all of your grace today, to be encouraged in the Word of God, and to have ears to hear and eyes to see, and to have that discernment that will stay with us always. And Lord, we ask that you bring your words to our remembrance by your Holy Spirit, just like you promised. And we ask, Lord, that you would raise this standard against the enemies of our lives, that your word would come to our mind and our understanding in a time that would defend us in these days that we're in right now. We're thanking you for that grace, Lord. And we're thanking you, Lord, to have a good memory of your word. And we praise you, Father, for a good study this day in Jesus' name. Well, today I'd like to speak about uh, 
the Holy Spirit in the church today. In Galatians 1, chapter 1 and verses 6 through 9, Paul is talking here to the churches of Galatia. He's talking to Christians, and he says this. He says, I marvel that you are so quickly removing from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto a different gospel. Verse 7, which is not another gospel, only there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven should preach unto you any gospel other than the one which we preached unto you, let him be anathema or accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preacheth unto you a gospel other than that which you received, let him be anathema. Well, how many of you have ever heard other gospels besides the one that Paul preached? According to him, we can't add to the gospels that was once given to us, but it's done every day in, in most of the churches. It says in Jude chapter 1 and verse 3, Contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Folks, is his gospel or no gospel? His gospel or you're bringing yourself under a curse, right? That's what it says. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6? He said, Learn not to go beyond the things that are written. All of the gospels are already written. It's already in the word. And you don't need, you can't go beyond it. That's what the word says. Another thing he said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and I will know, not the word of them that are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In other words, you don't have any proof that it's the kingdom of God unless there's power in it. You know, we're told in Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, holding a form of godliness but having denied the power thereof, from these also turn away. The power is God's proof of the true gospel glory to God. The Bible says he confirms his word with signs and wonders. And he, he says it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5. My speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Huh. Glory to God. Our faith is supposed to stand in the power of God, not just in the wisdom of men, not just in what people can give us of their knowledge and their understanding, but it's in the power of God. Romans 15 and 18 says, For I will not dare to speak of anything save those which Christ wrought through me for the obedience of the Gentiles, by word and deed. Now remember, our gospel shouldn't be more or less than Paul's gospel. And he's explaining to you something about his gospel here in verse 18. 
for I will not dare to speak anything save those which Christ wrought through me for the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about, even unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, in order to preach the full gospel, or to fully preach the gospel, there has to be what the Bible says are these signs. In Mark chapter 16, the Bible says that Jesus confirmed the word that was spoken through the disciples after they left him on the mountain there. And he confirmed the word with signs and wonders. It says, he confirmed the word with signs and wonders. And if you do walk by faith, you'll definitely see these signs and wonders. Faith is necessary in order to have signs and wonders, okay? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 21 says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which were done in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now notice that if the mighty works had been done in these two cities, they would have repented. And then he went on to say in verse 22, But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, shalt thou be exalted unto heaven? Thou shalt go down into Hades. For if the mighty works had been done in Sodom, which were done in thee, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Well, looks like there's a reason for signs and wonders, doesn't it? Signs and wonders make people repent that wouldn't ordinarily repent. Can you imagine Sodom repenting? But it also made these sinners responsible. When they saw these signs and wonders, it made them responsible, more responsible before God to repent. Because people are highly motivated when they see this, when they look and see the signs and wonders. I don't think there's ever been a great revival without there being signs and wonders. Glory to God. And if you remember that Jesus appeared to two of the disciples, although incognito, on their way to Emmaus. Look at Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 35. And he said unto them, O foolish men, and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Behooved it not the Christ to suffer these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses, from all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they were going, and he made as though he would go further. And they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And he went in to abide with them. And it came to pass, when he had sat down with them to meet, he took the bread and blessed, and breaking it, he gave to them. 
and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Whoop, there he went. And they said one to another, Was not our heart burning within us while he spake to us in the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with him, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they rehearsed the things that happened in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of the bread. Well, you know, it's amazing. I believe there's a spiritual type here. These people had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And he had to open the scriptures to them and open their spiritual understanding. And it happened because they broke bread. You know, there's an awful lot of Christians nowadays that they have walked with Jesus for a long time. But they still haven't broke the bread and gotten their eyes open. In verse 45, it says, Then opened he their mind that they might understand the scriptures. He was talking about the apostles here. He had appeared in their midst, and he had opened their mind so that they would understand the scriptures. And here's the apostles. They walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and yet he had to open their mind to understand what he had said to them. You know, we really have to, we have to break the bread. We have to look at it on the outside. We have to look at it on the inside. And we have to devour that bread if we're really going to see the true face of Jesus. Because you can walk with Jesus for a long time and not ever know the real true Jesus. But you know what the bread is. That's the Word. I mean, Jesus showed us that, that the bread was the Word. He was the Word that came down out of heaven that gives life to the world. Glory to God. He was that manna that the forefathers were fed with in the wilderness. And actually, that word manna means man. If you look it up, it's just man, manna. He was that man. And again, from verse uh, 45, then opened he their mind that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name unto all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send forth the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city until ye be clothed with power from on high. Well, it's pretty obvious they had the education because they walked in the best Bible school there is, bar none. They walked with Jesus himself, the Master. But still, they needed the eyes of their understanding open. They needed that bread to be broken so that their eyes could be opened up. And if they were going to do this thing, beginning from Jerusalem, they needed this power. And so he told them to be sure and tarry in Jerusalem there. In Acts 1, look at Acts 1. Be sure and tarry in Jerusalem until they receive this power. You know what? 
everything is according to pattern here. Everything that happens to us is according to pattern. The Lord showed us the way in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Now, you, you know who Acts is addressed to, right? That's Theophilus. You know who Theophilus was? If they would have translated that name, Theophilus, it would have been lover of God. But they didn't translate it. They left it Greek. Whether they ought to have done that or not, I don't know. But I know he's talking. who he's talking to here. He's talking to lovers of God. And here in verse 4 he says, And being assembled together with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now he'd already given them their ordination that they were going to preach beginning at Jerusalem, you know, and go spread throughout all the world. That's the gospel. He said this, but he said, But wait for the promise of the Father, which said he, Ye have heard from me. Verse 5 says, For John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days hence. Then verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria unto the uttermost parts of the earth. They're going to spread all over the earth. Glory to God. Well, again, we're talking about the full gospel. We're talking about the way in which God chose to fulfill the full gospel. And our gospel has to be Paul's gospel. The same, no different. And for anybody to have on this side of Paul departed from that gospel for another gospel, then there's a curse involved in it. The Bible's clear. There's a curse involved in it. You know, Jesus said, if you go back to John Chapter 20 and verse 21, when Jesus was leaving them and he appeared to the disciples, he said this in verse 21, Peace be unto you, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, during this same period of time at Pentecost, there was that rushing mighty wind. And they all received the Holy Spirit. And the evidence that they had received the Holy Spirit was that they all spoke in other tongues. Acts chapter 2 and 4. And he also made other promises that they would have dreams and visions, signs and wonders. Here's the point I want to make to you. Jesus said this. He said, As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now Jesus according to the Bible, is our pattern. Isaiah chapter 7 is where I think it says that. Not only he, but the children that God gave him were for a pattern. The Bible said, first of all, it says in Isaiah 7 and 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. That word sign means a pattern, a sign, or something like that. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us, right? Well, isn't he still Emmanuel? Isn't God still with us? This is true, you know. The same Jesus is with us today. He is manifested in the body of Christ, okay? 
Another thing it says about him in chapter 8, after mentioning his name in verse 8, Emmanuel, and also in verse 10, Emmanuel, the end of verse 10, Emmanuel, it says in verse Isaiah 10 and 16, Bind thou up, excuse me, bind thou up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait for the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob and will look for him. Now, of course, we know that he did hide his face from him for, for quite some time, didn't he? Then it goes on in 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Zion. So you know what? Jesus and the children that God gave him to were for signs. You know why? Because God hadn't ever changed anything. Why would he need to sign back at the beginning if he was going to change his method of dealing with the church? He didn't change his method. Paul warned us about even thinking that way, that he was going to change his method, you know. John warned us too. Peter warned us. Exact same thing. Peter warned us to be absolutely sure that if we spoke anything, to let it be as the oracles of God. Let's speak what he spoke, you know. And John said, hey, if you add to this word, I'm going to add to you the plagues that are written in this book. And if you take away from these words, I'll take away your place out of the tree of life, right? That's what he said. So we have these warnings, you know, not to change the gospel in any way, the word in any way. God told us ahead of time. It doesn't matter if an angel appears to you, a man or anything else. We're not to change it. You are not to change the word of God. God gave us this sign. The sign was Jesus, and the sign was his disciples. Look what Jesus said. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2. And it says this, And and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Now I want you to remember, Jesus was baptized in water. He was obedient. He said, Thus it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He did not have a ministry until he got filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a ministry until this happened. He didn't ever do a miracle until he was filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? So he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And instead of God sending him even then to go and minister to the multitude, the first thing that happened to him was the Spirit of God took him to this trial in the wilderness, okay? And that's according to pattern. And if you go back to the Old Testament, look at Moses. That's God's pattern, okay? Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led in the Spirit in the wilderness during 40 days, being tempted of the devil, and he did eat nothing. So here he was. He was led by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And the Bible even says in uh, over in verse 13, And when the devil had completed every temptation, he departed from him for a season. You know, it was kind of like God had these temptations that he was going to be tempted of. 
And when it was over, it was over. That's it. But then Jesus had to be filled with the Spirit and go through this temptation himself and be an overcomer himself before God was going to send him. Verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and a fame went out concerning him through all the region round about. Verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. One of the first things he did was to take the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and read verses uh, uh, in chapter 61 and verse 1. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. You know what the, the, that word good tidings is? That's the gospel. You know the gospel that Jesus preached. That's our gospel. The gospel that Paul preached. That's our gospel. There is no difference, okay? He was anointed to do this. You know what the word anointed is, right? It's the word Christos. That's, this is why he was called the Christ. He was called the Christ because he was the anointed. That's what anointed is. That's the exact same word. But you know what? The Bible talks about us being Christos. The Bible says he has anointed us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that he has anointed us with this same anointing. You know what the anointing is? Well, he tells us very plainly what it is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. The anointing to go forth and to do the work that Jesus was finally sent to do was the power of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. He said he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Now Jesus told us, he said, As the Father sent me, so send I you. Well, when was Jesus sent? Not until that verse right there. It says so. He has sent me. When he came up out of that wilderness, having been tempted of the devil himself and having overcome the devil himself, that's when God sent him. First of all, Jesus also told his disciples, he said, even after all of their education, listen, even after opening their understanding, he said, now you tarry in Jerusalem until you receive this power. And then you're going to be my witnesses. You can't be my witnesses until this happens. So you wait there until I, that power comes upon you. Jesus himself wasn't sent until, well, I mean, obviously, if anybody could have gone, it would have been him, right? He was the Son of God. And we hear, we hear this from a lot of Pentecostal folks nowadays, that you're not saved until you get the Holy Spirit. But obviously, Jesus is showing us that this pattern is not true. He was the Son of God. He was the only born Son of God. The only born. We're reborn sons of God, but he was the only born. Begotten. That's what the word means. Born. Same word. He was the only born son of God. So he was the son of God, but he had a ministry to fulfill for God. He also had a type or a sign to fulfill for God. 
That's why Jesus was baptized. That's why he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why he went through the temptation in the wilderness. And that's why he, the Bible says, he had to be made like unto his brethren in all things. Now, I know you understand that. That's what the Bible says. So that he might be a high priest because he must have suffered temptation so that he can suffer them that are tempted. That's what the Bible says. So he's got to understand where you're coming from, you know. And he does. Jesus did go through all these things in order to be a sign for us. But also, he was made in all things like unto his brethren. Well, what does that mean? Well, he was born again, baptized. He was baptized in the Spirit. And he was tempted in all points like as us, right? He came and took on the likeness of sinful flesh, the Bible says. In all things he had to be made like unto his brethren. You know, Jesus didn't come down here in the omniscience and omnipotence of God. The Bible says he laid all that aside. He came down here like a spirit-filled man and fulfilled a ministry with the gifts of the Spirit moving through him. He came down here to be made like unto his brethren to fulfill a type, okay? Now, I know we've heard a lot of stuff about that flesh, but the Lord wants us to see him as a type or a sign going through the Scriptures for us. Obviously, his disciples followed the same sign. It says so in Isaiah 8. They're for signs. So we look at them, not just as an example, but as a sign, okay? And Jesus was sent here when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the Son of God. But he needed this anointing in order to be sent. It says so right there. He said so, that he needed this anointing in order to be sent, okay? And as the Father has sent me, so send I you. In the same way, he's going to send us. Now the question is, can you go? Sure you can go. Everybody can go if they want to go. But there's a difference in going and being sent. None of these people in the Bible went without this same kind of ascending. So you need to understand that. Look at Mark chapter 16. I just quoted this verse to you a while ago in verse 16. This is the gospel of Jesus, okay? It's never been changed. There's not a verse that ever tells us it's been changed. There's a lot of people, believe me, searching diligently for that verse that tells them that it's been changed because they want to change it so badly, but they ain't found it yet or some other way in which they can get rid of the full gospel, get rid of the supernatural part of Christianity. People are working diligently to try to destroy that. But like I said, they've never found a verse in here that tells you it's permissible. On the contrary, if an angel appears to you and tells you that God Almighty has changed it, that's a cursed angel. And anybody that believes him is cursed too. Verse uh, in Mark chapter 16 and 16 said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. 
Listen to this. Our position on baptism has to be Jesus' position on baptism and his disciples' position on baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. It is biblical that we are baptized into the body of Christ. I mean, that's what the Bible says. I'm just telling you what the Bible says here. I don't have to say what men say. They were uh, that we are baptized into the body of Christ and made to drink of one spirit. And that's two baptisms there. That's 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 tells us that. 1 Peter 3.20, 8 saved through baptism or through water. 21 says, which after a true likeness doth now save you, even baptism. Now, I'm not talking about baptism or regeneration. I'm just talking about that in the scriptures, it was very important, and today it's not very important. It was an act of faith in the scriptures of uniting ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So a person should be baptized. The disciples believed that because when they preached and people believed, they ran them down to the water hole even in the middle of the night, just like the Philipp, uh, the Philippian jailer. I mean, that wasn't necessarily a convenient time to baptize, was it, right in the middle of the night? But they, they knew it had to be done. They went ahead and did it. Now, churches, if they don't give you three months of education, they won't baptize you. That ain't scriptural. When a person believes, you can explain baptism to them, but they need to be baptized. And to pass it up is to pass up an awful lot of scripture. Look what he says here in Mark 16 and 16. But he that disbelieves shall be condemned. And these signs shall accompany them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons. You know why these things are mentioned here? Because every believer can do these things. You should believe that God can do these things through you. And he will do these things through you. You ought to believe for this. Verse 17 says, And these signs shall accompany them that believe in my name shall they cast out demons they shall speak with new tongues now new tongues is not in the numerics it was added in because of somebody's stupid theology this tongues he's talking about here was fulfilled in the book of Acts okay and to the disciples so they'll speak with tongues these believers will speak with tongues so he says they'll cast out demons and they'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. Well, you know, I know a lot of people have said, well, this couldn't be true because of the people who take up serpents. Well, it's true because it was written by God Almighty and came out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's true. It don't matter whether you understand about the serpents or not. It's still true. Glory to God. In Luke chapter 10, he tells us, he told them what the serpents were. I mean, I don't think he's asking anybody to go out there and take up rattlesnakes out of a bushel basket at all. I don't believe that, and I don't believe the Bible teaches that. But it says in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in thy name. And he said unto them, 
I beheld Satan falling as lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Well, what's he talking about here? He's talking about demons. He ain't talking about literal serpents and scorpions. He's talking about demons, and they did this. And if you did think it was literal, well, in Acts 28, Paul did take up a serpent, didn't he? He had one last on to his hand, right? He just shook it off in the fire. Didn't hurt him at all. But at any rate, <coughs> excuse me, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about handling these demons, not not snakes. Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 says this, Serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Verse 20, Nevertheless, in this rejoice not that the spirits, there it is, are subject unto you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The spirits, that's the serpents and the scorpions. In Acts 16 and 16, there was this uh, uh, soothsaying maid that followed behind Paul and told him, he said, These men are servants of the Most High God. And it said that she was possessed with the spirit of divination. And if you look up that word divination in vines, it's the Greek word python. It was called a python spirit. It was a serpent spirit. There are serpent spirits and there are scorpion spirits. But a serpent spirit is a spirit of divination. When God cursed the serpent to crawl on his belly, he lost his legs and he crawled on his belly. That's the curse that was on the old dragon, you see. He said he was going to crawl on his belly. And even today, if you they say if you open up and dissect a serpent, you'll find the vestiges of legs in the serpents because at one time they did have legs. There are actually groups that say Mark chapter 16 does not belong in the Bible. You know why they say that? Because some manuscripts don't have it in there. Well, I want to tell you something. There's a perfect numeric pattern going all the way through Mark chapter 16. All the way through it. Perfect numeric pattern. It is biblical. It was written by God Almighty. Mark 16 and 18 said, And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Well, all right, we got a pattern here. It was fulfilled by Jesus. It was fulfilled by his disciples or his apostles. And it's a pattern that God gave us. And he ain't going to change it. He's not going to change it for you or anybody else. And all you have to do is to be obedient to this pattern. Jesus' commands to us was to get the board out of our eye, and we see clear to get the mold out of our brother's eye. You know, we think that once we get this revelation that we're prepared. Well, that's probably what the disciples thought too. Obviously, they walked with Jesus, but what happened? Jesus still had to open their eyes. He still had to fill them with the Spirit. He told them, don't go until I fill you with the Spirit. He opened their eyes. Even after he'd walk, even after they got this education from him, he had to open their eyes, right? 
The education never sent anybody. Listen to me. This is what the seminars are doing nowadays. They are educating people and sending, which is unscriptural and unbiblical. You don't have a word for that in the Word of God at all. Not an example one time in the Scripture. A person has to be gifted in order to be sent. And that's the example we have. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. What's happening in Christianity today has happened before. What's happening today is what was happening in his day. That's the exact same thing. And we're in a time that was very much like the time when Jesus walked the earth and thereafter. Glory to God. It says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 20, Brethren, be not children in mind, yet in malice be ye based, but in mind be men. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers will I speak unto this people. And not even thus will they hear me, says the Lord. Well, that happened. First of all, on the day of Pentecost, they spoke to the Jews. The Jews were God's covenant people. But when God decided to anoint his people and send them to the Jews, the overwhelming majority of them didn't even listen. And now, you know what? We come to the same time in history when most of the Christians are not listening. We see the same thing is true. Look what it says. Will I speak to this people? And not even thus will they hear me, says the Lord. Verse 22. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to the unbelieving. Well, first of all, who did Jesus say were the believing? That's the ones that believe. They were speaking tongues. So in this day, you know what? Tongues was assigned to the unbelieving. But what are the unbelievers he's talking about right here? Well, first of all, he says that he'll speak to this people. It was God's covenant people who were unbelieving. They were not accepting this thing about tongues. And if we go back over to Isaiah 28, you'll see it very plainly over there. So this sign to the unbelieving is about tongues. He's talking about right here, 1 Corinthians 14 and 22. But prophesying is for a son, not to the unbelieving, but to them that believe. There's some people out there that don't even believe in prophesying. So you couldn't prophesy to them and have them believe it because they're unbelieving concerning prophecy, concerning tongues too. The unbelieving are unbelieving to tongues and prophecy. They don't believe in either one of them. But the Lord said he was going to speak to this people, which was his people, and they were not going to believe him. Well, that happened in his day. It's happening in our day. There's no difference in them at all. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 14 to 23. If therefore the whole church be assembled together, and all speak with tongues. Well, obviously that was a possibility. And there come in men unlearned or unbelieving. Well, some people are just unlearned. When they hear about it, they change their mind. But there are some that are unbelieving that's not going to change their mind. Will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy, 
and there come in one unbelieving or unlearned, he is reproved by all, he is judged by all. The secrets of his heart are made manifest, and so he will fall down on his face and worship God, declaring that God is among you indeed. Verse 26, And what is it then, brethren? When you come together, each one hath a psalm, hath a teaching, hath a revelation, hath a tongue, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. So, what the Apostle Paul was giving us was the order of church service right here, right? When you come together, when we all come together, and people are supposed to be with psalms, teachings, revelations, and tongues, and that's the order of the church service, and it gives the order for tongues. Let's go to Isaiah 28 and 11. Look at where this verse came from, where he said, By men of strange tongues, by the lips of strangers, will I speak to this people. We don't have to believe anything but what the Bible says here. Why would we want to, you know? Isaiah 28 and 9. Uh, now, do you remember the timing that he was talking about when he spoke to his own people by people who spoke in these strange tongues? Isaiah 28 and 9 says, Whom would he teach knowledge? Whom will he make to understand the message? Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. For it is precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little, there a little. Nay, but by men of strange lips and with another tongue would he speak unto this people. To whom he said, This is the rest. Give you rest to him that is weary. This is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Therefore shall the word of the Lord be unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Wherefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers that rule this people. That is in Jerusalem. First of all, the rulers didn't accept this movement. God spoke to his people and he said, This is the rest. This is the refreshing. What if you'd ask a Jew, what's the rest? He'd tell you the Sabbath is the rest. That's their rest. That's what the word means. You know, Sabbath means rest. This is the refreshing. So what is tongues for? It's more than just power, folks. It's to bring rest. Not just tongues, the power of the Holy Spirit. Tongues is just a sign of the filling of the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, he said, this is the rest and this is the refreshing. The filling of the Holy Spirit is to give us rest. You know what they call rest? They call rest in Hebrews 3, 3 uh, ceasing from your works. Ceasing from your works. You know what? The people who don't believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit and with these signs that follow, they're just full of works. They're full of works, I mean. They're very hard-working people. But you know what? You don't need your works to work through you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit 
to work through us. Glory to God. We want God's works through us. All our testimonies of God's goodness in our lives, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the thing that converts people. It's the thing that makes people responsible. It's the thing that would cause Sodom and Gomorrah to repent, Lord of God. In other words, people who are in that state, they repent when they see these signs, you know. The power of the Holy Spirit is more than just signs. It's rest. It's peace. It's the flow of the Holy Spirit through a person. He said, this is the rest. This is the refreshing. It is, folks. Everybody that's ever experienced it knows that it's a rest. It is a refreshing. And it is the reason that we don't need a law. You know, in the Old Testament, God gave them a law. And the reason was they needed to know what to do in circumstances and situations that they got into. So they had this law. Bunch of laws, too. <laughs> now, the Bible says that we've been given the law of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is given to us to lead us and to guide us. That's what Jesus said, right? He was to be our comforter because Jesus said so. To be our advocate because Jesus said so. The Spirit of God is given to us so that we might know what to do next. Sometimes, you know, you can look back and you see, and you might say, my goodness, God has really just led me step by step the whole way. You know, and I've fallen right into the will of God, wondering how in the world did I get here? And it just came so natural. Because it's like ceasing from your works and entering into the rest. I had people telling me when I was young in the Lord to get out there and work for God. You need to get out there and bang on doors and talk to people and bring them to Christ. You know, and I did that. And it was good. And I learned a lot from it. I did a lot of works for God. But you know what? God prepared Paul for years to send him. God prepared Jesus years in order to send him. God filled him with something that they were going to give people uh, all the time. He prepared it for years in order to send them. And he gave them all this rest, this rest in God, which he calls in Hebrews 3, ceasing from your works, you know. You know what? If we can just find God's work, if we can just be where God wants us to be, when God wants us to be there, and then when God says move, we move. And if we just move with the Holy Spirit, we're going to see the works of God. We're going to see the power of God. But as long as we're out there working under the law, you know what I'm talking about, under the law. You can be under the law in the New Testament. Because under the law was where they were when they worked being led by the Spirit. They were doing things because of rules and regulation and because of peer pressure that other people put on them. And what preachers said they ought to do, you know. But you know what? You don't need that if you've got the Holy Spirit because He's going to show you what He wants you to do. And He's going to lead you into it. He's going to guide you where He wants you. 
and so on and so forth. He called it the rest. He called it the rest because you don't have to worry about your work. The work, the Bible says the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Hebrews 3, same thing. The only thing that remains is for us to enter into these works through faith, glory to God. So we enter into God's works through faith. Here's what the Lord told Ezekiel when he sent him. Listen to this in Ezekiel 2 and 8. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that which I give thee. And when I looked, behold, a hand was put forth unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein, and he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there were written therein lamentations and mournings, and woe. Now, Ezekiel 3 and 1, and he said unto me, now listen, listen to what he said here, he said unto me, son of man, eat that which thou findest, eat this roll and go eat this roll and go. It's like the guy that was sent to King David and he didn't have the message. You know where we get the message from, don't you? We get it from the roll of this book right here. And what does this book say about being sent? That's not. That's what I'm saying. Not what anybody else says in the old. I'm talking about what Jesus ordained for us to be sent. Am I saying I can't witness because I'm not baptizing the Holy Spirit to my neighbor? No, I ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being sent, okay? He says, first you eat this roll and then go. That's what he said, eat the roll and go. Verse 2, so I opened my mouth and he called me to eat the roll. And he said unto me, son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee to the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. How are you going to speak with God's word unto Israel if you haven't filled your belly with that role? If you haven't been filled up with the word of God, you're going to speak with some words, all right? We're hearing a lot of words in the churches today, but it ain't the gospel that Paul preached, and it ain't the gospel that Jesus preached. It's not the gospel that Peter preached. We need this gospel. You've got to get that gospel in you in order for it to do any good. You know what's going to happen if you go out there and speak your words? You might bring somebody into your likeness, but you're not going to bring somebody forth in Christ's likeness. That's what we need out there. Verse 4, Speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent unto a people of strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Now listen to this verse right here. Two verses, okay? The same place in Ezekiel, verse 10. Moreover, he said unto me, <clears throat> Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thy heart and hear with thine ears, and go, get thee to them of the captivity. Well, that's what Jesus said. Get the board out of your eye, then go. Listen, how many people, we're talking about people who have not received the gospel that Paul preached yet, and yet they go. They have not been, they haven't received the gospel that Jesus preached yet, and yet they go on. 
What he's saying is, no, you receive it first, and then you can go. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll do it again next time. God willing. My thirsting soul, purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.